well, I remember landing. And as as we were, I guess as we were landing, one of the members of the crew was, like, had an oxygen mask. <laughs> so he, he was, I don't know why. I don't know why he was breathing extra oxygen. I don't know if he was feeling the altitude or if he was just nervous about it. But, you know, you're watching that and you're watching everybody put on all their gear. And I've never set foot in minus 20 degrees. I don't know what that feels like. I was very nervous. <laughs> and there's like that first moment that you're really afraid. And then it's like, okay, this isn't that bad. Welcome back to Relatively Certain, a science podcast straight from researchers at the University of Maryland. I'm Chris Caesar. And I'm Emily Edwards. And we're back with another episode about science and life at the South Pole. In our last episode, which you should totally check out if you haven't heard it already, we learned about IceCube, a physics experiment at the South Pole that's trying to catch neutrinos, and the Iscarian Radio Array, or ARA, a related experiment that's just getting underway. We met Liz Friedman, a physics PhD student at the University of Maryland, just as she was getting ready to leave for a five-week stint at the pole. Friedman was heading down to install power supplies she built for some new ARA outposts, outposts that start out as holes drilled deep into the ice. Now she's back, and we're talking with her about how such an isolated place with a bad internet connection can actually be pretty livable. Even when things don't go quite according to plan. So welcome back to the studio. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be back. So you sent us this really long list of, <laughs> of all of the things that you recall yeah, there's from, probably uh, more. from your trip. So how, how were your first few days like at the base? Was, um, it, was there a lot of adjusting? Did you get like altitude yes. sickness? Where... So I took the altitude meds, which is really annoying and not fun. They make your extremity, like your fingers and toes tingle. Wait, why would you have altitude sickness? We're at 9,300 feet at the South Pole. Oh, I did not realize that. Yeah, and with a thin atmosphere, it's actually effectively more like 10 to 11,000 feet. Uh Uh-huh. So it takes a lot. So it's yeah, really cold, really dry, and there's no oxygen. So it's <laughs> really a rough adjustment. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had no idea. I don't even think of. <laughs> I think of Antarctica, and I think of a giant block of ice and penguins. Yeah, and no so, penguins <laughs> at the South Pole. That's another thing that makes people go crazy. There's no nothing alive other than people. You you were you were going there in order to put some stuff in the ice, and you needed holes to be drilled, and the. The drilling hadn't happened. <laughs> it hadn't started. The drill wasn't even set up when we got there. And so how much time in the beginning was kind of lost? So my work that I was supposed to get done didn't suffer that much uh, because I had to do other work. The main way it suffered is that the drill team just ended up not having enough time to drill the third station. So in that sense, yeah, I wasn't able, I was only able to deploy, or my, you know, our team was only able to deploy two of the three stations, but... It's not like I didn't make it to things on my checklist. It was just, it, was, it basically all comes down to the drill. That's always, I mean, for Ice Cube and for Ara, the drill is the, the main thing. If you can drill a hole, then you can probably deploy your equipment. So them being delayed is a much bigger deal than my time being split at the beginning. Yeah, in fact, the hours were a lot easier those first two weeks. <laughs> we worked about eight hours a day instead of the last three weeks where we worked like 12 to 14 hours a day with no days off. So <laughs> so you have these holes and these drillers. At some point, they've drilled all the holes that you need. So we have these empty holes that are approximately 200 meters. And again, we always measure how deep they are. Then this procedure. So we have this deployment sled, which is basically a greenhouse that keeps you warm unless it's not sunny. 
If it's not sunny, it's kind of chilly in there, and then it sucks. <laughs> but usually it's pretty warm uh, to the point where you have to, like, open the doors sometimes to cool off. And, you know, the basic procedure is you have this rope and a bunch of carabiners and, like, an ascender. It's a bunch of rock climbing equipment. And you put all the weight on the ascender. And when the weight's on the ascender, you cut the rope and you tie it to your antenna. And you measure how – you measure what the distance is. And then, you know, you lower the rope a little bit and you just see it – you see the antenna just disappear into the hole. <laughs> and then you attach the next electronics and the cables and make sure they match all the logs that you have for the parts. And you just, like, slowly – you know, then you attach the next antenna and you cut your rope and you would tie it to the antenna and it's this methodical, you know, step-by-step -step process and you just see everything slowly lower into the ice. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the first couple strings we did, this took like two hours. <laughs> but, but as you get better at it, it takes, you know, 45 minutes. But yeah, then you just leave it. So we, we tie an anchor. We get a four-by-four four piece of wood. <laughs> we dig a little trench and we just put it on top of the hole with a couple knots and you just say goodbye to it. I did not drop anything down a hole. I was really proud of myself. Not even a connector cap. How how big are the holes? Uh, I think 15 centimeters. Not that big. Six inches or so. Yeah. Your, your foot will fit across it. You're not going to fall in. You could fall into an ice cube hole. Yeah. No, that wouldn't be good. You would not come back out. <laughs> no one did. I guess No not. one fell into an ice cube <laughs> hole. <laughs> but you could. A person could fit down there. You can't fit down one of these. I guess at least if I was there, I'd be a little tempted to to kind of think of it as even though I'm working all the time, to think of it as like a weird vacation. Oh, absolutely. So, so how do you? How does <laughs> it's that? It's definitely a vacation. In the, how does in a that way. like um, work in your head? Like, how are you moment to moment kind of thinking about what you're doing there? Is it when you're doing work, you're kind of just in the zone and thinking about work? And then yeah. There's, there's chances to relax, but it sounded like you were kind well, of working the whole time. So. So, okay, well, so first of all, at the South Pole, you have a six-day work week. So nobody takes off Saturday. That's a normal work day. Sunday's the only day that everyone sort of has off, except Christmas and New Year's, where you get two days off. So already you're kind of in a, I should be doing something, state of mind. And so in some ways, if you're working or going on a tour or playing a game or something, that it sort of just feels like, well, I should be doing something because... I'm in this interesting place. I should go take a tour. Like, I shouldn't just sit in my room or sit in the lounge and watch TV. So there's, I don't know, it kind of blends together of just I should be out there doing something, either learning about the station or doing something for my project. Um, and then the, the other thing I want to say is there's a difference between indoor and outdoor work. Um, indoor work can kind of feel like you're anywhere and, okay, I'm working in the lab and I have these things that I have to do, but outdoor work, you're very aware <laughs> that you're somewhere really, really cold. Um, so that is both interesting and you're, you're constantly thinking about the surroundings and how bizarre it is that you're working in this cold, dry place. But also you can only think of the fact that you're really cold and that you have a very short time to get your work done before you just have to go inside. People can't live down there all parts of the year, can they? At they the South Pole? Oh, they yeah. can? Okay. Yeah. We have winter overs that are going to be there for the, the whole year. They take really, really beautiful pictures of the auroras and just the sky uh -huh. with no light around. I mean, how how many people? There must be a limited number of people during this, you know, winter. I think like forty or fifty. Yeah. At the South Pole, you can barely go outside. None of the vehicles work. It's a huge deal if a plane has to come down to medevac someone. Uh -huh. So 
there's you're not going anywhere. You need to be especially laid back to handle the South Pole for the winter. Well, so you were there for for some holidays. Yeah. yeah. Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's? I was not right? there for Thanksgiving. Okay. I was in New Zealand for Thanksgiving. Okay. Yeah, so Christmas. So I signed up to eat in the early meal and then be a wine steward. So it, that was... Did you have a white napkin? Oh, I did. Oh, I did. Over your arm? I did have a white napkin over my arm, and I always had the label out when I was showing people. They said the towels were available if we wanted to look fancy. So... <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was really fun. So at, at my dinner, it was much smaller. There were, I don't know, maybe six of the tables were filled instead of ten or something, and uh, we ate dinner and we helped clean up and and set up for the next group and then went to then I frantically did my laundry. You're allowed one load a week, and then and then yeah, I went to be a wine steward and that was really fun because the tables are all full and everyone you know is there and some people you don't know and you get to meet some people and. I don't know. It's just really fun. They're, everyone's there and dressed up, and I just, and, I just love this vision of like maybe the uh, Antarctica's top chef was back in the kitchen and was like, "For Christmas, we do it right. We lay out the towels. We have the linens. I cook all this food, and normally they just sit there and eat it, but this time we do it right. You know? Yeah. Oh, they, they. You came may out. have a towel if you prefer. <laughs> the the chefs they came out and they you know they lined up and presented what all the food was and there was a nice like menu printed up not at every seat but you know I think one or two posted around to tell you what all the food was because it was it was a really nice spread and they um the one of the guys had written a nice letter to the community you know about how we might all work on different projects but we're all polies right now which is someone who's at the pole polies <laughs> and it was, I don't know, it was, it's just really nice. So what was um, what was the most surprising thing for you when you go, went down there? I mean, you go through all this training, you go through all this preparation, you work on your experiment here to make sure it just works when you get there. Mm-hmm. What was the most surprising thing that you uh, encountered? It's not surprising, but, you know, we couldn't figure out how to... Um, how to execute a, a command with something we were using. And if you can't Google that, it just... I mean, it was just that on a Windows, you just hit Control-Enter, and on a Mac, apparently you hit Control-J, but who would guess that? And, like, without Google, that, like, actually, we were just sitting there trying commands for, like, several hours. I have to say I'm a little <laughs> sad that it's our dependency on Google, but I somehow <laughs> no. am not surprised. surprised. That's, that's, it's really not surprising at all, yeah. I mean, maybe the most surprising thing is how much, like, fun stuff there was to do. There, like, that was the most surprising part is that people – everyone's very normal, like, it's not a bunch of weirdos who just want to sit alone in darkness for, like, a long time. It's just a bunch of really normal, nice people who are like, this sounded interesting. And it's also that, yeah, that everybody hangs out. Because you would think somebody who wants to go spend a year at the South Pole where it's just completely, where it's dark for eight months, nine months, you'd think that person does not want to socialize. But the lounge always has people in it, and the galley always has people hanging out, and... I don't know. It's just like a really nice social place. I really miss it. Thanks again to Liz Friedman for taking the time to tell us about her experience down at the South Pole. Stay tuned for a new episode next month about how black holes scramble up information and how some researchers are dreaming up ways to test this idea here on Earth. For Relatively Certain, I'm Chris Caesar. And I'm Emily Edwards.